You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. I know I should be ashamed to admit this today, but um, last week I actually watched Back to the Future for the very first time. And um, I know, I know you're like, man, you're a little late to the party, bro, right? Um, but I was sick of hearing people say, I can't believe you haven't seen that movie. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's watch this movie, right? I mean, even she had seen it. And she's like, you've got to see this movie. So we rented the movie and we watched it and, and it was good. It was a cool story. I, I enjoyed it. In fact, um, right afterwards, I rented the second one and watched that um, because I, I was really into it. But, but the crazy thing about it is when Shane and I decided to watch that movie, we put a little bit of money into it, we rented it, right? Um, we put some time into it, but when we put that money into that movie, we really added like two or three dollars to a pool of like billions of dollars that we as Americans spend on movies um, and, and, and going to the movies and renting movies each year. I don't have the exact figure. Um, I read in one um, thing and I didn't know if it was true or not. He said in the 400 billion dollar mark. And I'm like, oh, is it that much? I don't know, but I didn't have time to check it. But it's a lot of money that we as Americans spend um, on movies each year. And then when you go from there and just look at TV and, and not necessarily money, but look at time. And the average American, this is crazy, um, the average American spends five hours and four minutes a day watching TV. Now, I don't know how they got that four minutes, um, but that's important, so don't forget it. Five hours and four minutes every day. Now, if you're like, oh man, he's going to preach on TV and movies, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not preaching on TV and movies. Um, but the reason I bring this up, and by the way, if you have a streaming service like Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime, that number increases dramatically, okay? And so, so we spend a lot of money and a lot of time as Americans pouring into movies, pouring into television, pouring into these things. Why is it? Why is it that we spend so much time and money in these different things? And the reason is because stories captivate us. Stories draw us in. Some, some movies, some shows we relate to. We're like, man, this is, I can relate to this. I, I like this because I can see how it parallels my life. Other stories we like because we can escape from our story. Right? We can just kind of check out mentally for two hours and just enjoy this story and then go back to reality later. And these stories, they draw us in and they captivate us. And, and that's really something that's been around forever. I mean, before movies, it was plays. And before plays, it was like stories around a campfire. Um, they used to draw like paintings on caves and stuff to tell stories. Stories have been around from the beginning. And the reason for this is because God, our creator, made us with a desire for stories. He gave us a story, we have a story, and and so stories draw us in. They captivate us. Now, the thing about stories that we sometimes don't recognize is that stories very much shape us. They very much develop us. They give us a lens from which we see the world, called a worldview. And we could go really, really deep into this, um, but if, if I want to just throw out a few things to you, there's several stories that are false narratives that are floating around in our culture today that are discipling us without us even realizing it because it's coming through entertainment. And so our guard is kind of put down a little bit, but there's a story out there called consumerism. And um, if you can just get this nicer car, then you'll be happy, right? If you can have this amount of money, then you'll be happy. If you can just get our product and, and call right now, we'll send you another product free. And you'll be even more happy, right? And there's this narrative floating around that in our culture, if you get more of what you have or something that you don't have, then you'll be happy. 
It's called consumerism, and that's a false narrative. There's another narrative called secularism. And secularism has an agenda that says God is not real. Religion is a crutch. It's, it's ruining our culture. If we can just rid ourselves of God and, and, and of spiritual things and of the Bible and of religion, we'll finally be free and we'll finally progress in this culture. And that's a false narrative. Um, there's the narrative of humanism that says we are the center of the universe and everything revolves around us as humans and our flourishing. Although my dad um, read an article last week that was really mind-boggling. Um, it said that, that we should stop reproducing and having children because the more people that are on this earth, the more we damage this earth and it's going to kill the earth. And I'm like, just think that through for a minute, right? See how that works out for you. If we just stop um, altogether reproducing, there's not going to be anyone here to enjoy the earth. But that's another thing, okay? Um, there's, there's humanism that says we are the center of it all. There's progressivism that says if we can just move forward and, and ditch these, these cultural hangups that we are tied to in this old religious systems, then we'll finally be free. And there's all these false narratives floating around that are discipling us. And for some of us, if you're an average American, now I don't know anyone who watches this much TV, but apparently in the average category, you're getting discipled five hours a day with these false narratives. Every commercial, every TV show, every movie is, is forming a way in which you look at the world. And, and the Bible says that there's really only one true story, and that's God's story. And if you're here today and you hear that and you're like, what? Like, that's so narrow-minded. Then I want you to check your, your story that you've been listening to because if, if that shocks you that there's only one true story, you've probably been discipled in one of these other false narratives. See, there's only one true story, and it's God's story. And the amazing thing for us as Christians is that when God saved us, he gave us a better story. He gave us a better story to live. And Paul here in this passage is going to unpack some things of what it looks like to live in this better story. And then he's going to give this beautiful summary that we just read at the end of this passage that really tells our story again. And so today, for a few moments, I want to look at that topic, living a better story. Living a better story. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Lord, we thank you that even though we're being bombarded all around us by a lot of false narratives that you've given us the true story. And Lord, as Christians, you've given us a better story. And God, it's, it's so incredibly exciting to think that you have a story for all of us um, to be a part of and to live in and to, and to experience, God. And I just pray that today you'd fill me with your spirit and use me to um, open your word and, and preach it clearly and effectively so that we can leave transformed by, by the good news that you've given us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we're going to live this better story, then we have to understand what our story is, right? We've got to have a firm understanding of what the story that we are called to live is all about. And that's the same thing that's true for these Colossian Christians. And last week, um, we started this series in Colossians, and I gave you some background. Um, this is a church, this was a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. And this church had this dangerous False teaching floating around, these false stories, if you will, these narratives that were floating around that Jesus wasn't enough. 
and that you needed to add these other things. And it was called syncretism, where you blend these different religious worldviews together and you have this, this syncretized religion. And um, Epaphras, the guy who started the church in Colossae, said, this is a problem, right? Like, this is really bad. I've got to go talk to someone. So he went to the Apostle Paul. And, and he said, said Paul, uh, listen, there's this false heresy going in my church and I don't even know what to do with it. And Paul was in prison at the time. And so he said, here, here's what I'll do. And he wrote this letter. And, and, and this is the letter we have today, um, thousands of years later that we get to look at. It's pretty awesome. Um, but he wrote this letter, and the theme of the letter is Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is number one, and Jesus is all. You don't need anything else. You only need Jesus. And last week we looked at the hope that we have in heaven laid up for us because of Jesus. And it, it was awesome. I don't know if you enjoyed that. I enjoyed it. Um, and um, so I would encourage you, if you weren't here, get on the website and listen to it or read through the sermon notes because it's an incredible truth to know that our hope as Christians is secured in heaven for us. And so now Paul is going to jump into a prayer um, that he's praying for these Colossians to, to understand these four truths. And then he's going to wrap up by telling the story of us as Christians. And so Quickly, before we jump in, I want to give you um, our story just really quickly so that you can understand. Um, Ephesians 2 is probably one of the best summaries of our story as Christians. And basically, it starts like this. We are all born into this world with a sin nature. And because of that, we were dead in our sins, separated from God, dead in our sins, and depraved. We were bent towards evil. Um, we were bent towards sin. We wanted to do what was wrong. We desired to do what was wrong. And, and God and his rules were not something we were interested in. And some of you are like, yeah, I can, I can relate to that, right? Like, you, you understand that, that, that people in this world were born evil. And when we, that's another false narrative that's floating around that people are basically good. And, and if we can just fix this, the society, then the people will be better. But the truth is, if you locked someone in a closet and didn't give them any exposure to the outside world, evil would still take place because evil is something we're born with. It's in our hearts. The Bible says our heart is desperately evil and wicked and deceiving. And so, again, you're probably like, well, this is a lot to take in. But that's how we were born, dead in our sins. And because of that, we were objects of God's wrath. When we were born, apart from Christ, we were born into this world with sin, and God looked down on us as wicked sinners, depraved and separate from Him, and deserving of His righteous judgment and wrath. Now again, another story in our culture is that how could a God of love judge people or send people to hell? But we forget that God is not just perfectly loving, He's perfectly just. And if we were in a courtroom and the court had evidence that this guy was a murderer and he said, you know, the, the truth is he's a murderer and he deserves uh, life in prison, but I'm just a really loving judge, so I'm going to let him off the hook. We'd be appalled by that. So why in the world would the God of the universe, who's perfectly just and righteous and bound to his character, why would he just let sinners off the hook? He has to judge. And we were born in this world Christless, hopeless, Objects of God's wrath, dead in our sins, following the course of this world, following the lusts of our flesh, desiring to do what pleased us and not wanting anything to do with God. And then God in his rich mercy reached down and he saved us from our sins. And I don't know where you were when you were swept up into God's story. I was, I was five years old. I remember it clearly. 
and I realized I was separated from God. I realized I was a sinner. And I remember going to my dad and I said, Dad, I need to take care of this. I, I need to be saved. That was the kind of the lingo that we used in our church. And that's because it's in the scriptures. And I need to be saved from this wrath that's coming because I, I'm a sinner. And I was five years old, right? Like how, did, well, how many sins have I committed up to that point? But for me, it was real, right? And, and the Bible says those sins were enough at that point to separate me from God. And so I talked to my dad and he shared the gospel. How God in his love sent Jesus to die for my sins. He was buried and then he rose again three days later. And anyone who receives Jesus as Savior can be saved from their sins and reconciled to God. Listen, today if you are a Christian, you are not saved because your parents were good disciple makers. You are not saved because God saw your skill set. And he was like, man, I got to get them on my team. Right? That's not why you were saved. You're not saved because you used to do drugs and now you don't. Right? You're not saved because you're a pretty good person. You're saved today because God in his rich mercy looked at you, a dead, depraved, wicked object of his wrath, and said, I'm going to save them anyways. He saved us from our sins. That's our story. And if you look at it in more detail, God saved us. He set us apart. He put us in this new story, and he has works for us to accomplish, specific works for us. That's what we talk about. God has a plan for your life. He's got works for you to accomplish for his glory, and you're in a new story. And it's awesome to think about. And so Paul, what he's doing here is he's laying out a prayer for these Colossians, and he's saying, look, I'm praying for you to do these things. And then he wraps up by kind of reviewing this story that I just went through. And so we're going to look at um, this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says this, For this cause we also... Since the day we heard it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the hope, um, the faith and love that we talked about last week. That he saw in these Colossians. He heard that from Epaphras. He said, since the day we heard that you had become Christians. That you had truly believed that you were showing love to all the saints. He said, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. And in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the first aspect that we see here, the first prayer request that Paul is praying for these Colossians is, first of all, um, that they would strive to know the will of God. And if we're going to live this better story that we have as Christians, we need to strive to know the will of God. That's first and foremost. That's what Paul's praying for, that you would know the will of God. Now, I'm not sure when this happened or how this happened, but at some point, the will of God became this mysterious thing that was somewhat of a cosmic Easter egg hunt. And God was in the heavens and he was looking down and he's like, you're cold. And so, and so we kind of move a little for, warmer, warmer. Well, no, nope, you're cold again. Sorry. And, and we're just like, man, I just need to know the will of God. And, and we're like, I just wish a plane would write it in the sky, right? Like, what is God's will for my life? And it becomes this mysterious foggy thing. And I don't know where that came from because it's not in the Bible. The Bible is very clear. The will of God is in the scriptures. And any command that God has given us in his word is his will for our lives. And in fact, there's there's several passages that talk about that straight up say this is the will of God. Like if you would just do a search, you would find this is the will of God. And I want to give you a few examples of this. Um, First of all, it's the will of God that we're saved. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's our it's our um, sorry, that was the wrong verse. Second Peter 3, 9. It's God's will that we're saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you're here today and you heard about that story we were talking about, you've never entered that story. It's God's will that you do. 
It's God's will that you're saved today. And I want to say last week, we had someone enter that story at the end of the service during the invitation. Someone entered that story and they're part of that story. That's incredible. And so I want to encourage you, get saved, right? That's, that's God's will. Okay, so you want to know the will of God? Get saved. Next, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God. There it is right there. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. So it's God's will that we be sanctified, that we're set apart, that we would live um, for him in this world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. There it is again. So it's God's will that we would be thankful in everything that we go through in this earth. And there's several passages, again, that talk about us doing the will of God. And so this is something, that, again, Paul is praying that these Colossians would understand the will of God. And then he talks about wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge of God's will to your specific situation. So wisdom is taking God's will from the scriptures... And saying, okay, this is, this is God's will. Now, what's a principle from this that I can apply to my certain experience? And God can give you that wisdom. The Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, God will give it to him. You know, every single day as I'm praying, I pray for wisdom. God said if we'll ask him, he'll give us wisdom. And so every morning, I'm asking God, give me the wisdom today to live for you. And then spiritual understanding has an indication that we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate us as we go into God's word and understand his will. And so as we think about this, some of you may be thinking, well, okay, God's will is, is in his word and I get that, but, but that's not like specific, right? Like I want to know who am I supposed to marry, um, where am I supposed to work, where am I supposed to live, right? That's what I'm looking for. And I've used this illustration before, but it's helpful for us. Um, God's will, when it comes to specifics, is very much um, like a flashlight, okay? When I was a kid, I remember the first time I went hunting with my dad. And um, we went the day before, or a few weeks before, and we were in the woods, and we were scouting, looking for tracks and stuff like that. We put up some stands in the woods, and he said, okay, here's a little path to your stand, and and, and when you get there, this is how you get there, and cool, awesome, I'm excited. The first day we get up, and if you've ever been in the woods in the dark, it's a lot different than the day. I don't, I mean, like, completely different as a kid. I was just like, where am I, right? So so my dad, he's excited. It's opening day, and, and we're walking um, by the woods, and he's like, all right, your stand's that way, and he just kind of took off. And I'm like, oh, okay, right? And so so I have this flashlight, and it's completely dark, and I have no idea where I am, honestly. I'm like, I have no idea where I am. So I'm trying to remember what it was like in the day, but I just took the flashlight, and I shined it, and I saw a little path. Now, if I would have just stood there and shined my flashlight and tried to, tried to see my stand, I would have never got to my tree stand. What I had to do is I had to take a step. And, and the light that I had from that flashlight was just right in front of me. But when I took a step in that light, there was more light. And I took a step in that light, there was more light. And eventually, I got to my tree stand. Look, God has given us so much light in His Word. And if we'll just take a step in the light that He's already given us... I guarantee you, he'll shed more light. He'll give more wisdom. He'll give more spiritual understanding for you to be able to take this and apply it to your situation in life. And so Paul says, look, if you're going to live this better story, you've got to understand the will of God. That's first and foremost. And listen, again, we're being discipled. And this is the task that I have as a preacher, okay? as, As a preacher, I have one hour, really 30 minutes a week to disciple you in the true story and, and I am fighting against five hours a day for the average person that they're be, being discipled in these false narratives. So that's not going to happen without God's power, right? So I've got to completely rest on him to transform your hearts and my heart because we are being discipled by these other, other narratives. 
So if we're going to live this better story, we've got to get in God's word. We've got to know his will for our lives. So I want to challenge you, strive to know the will of God. That was Paul's first prayer for these Colossians. And, and then he goes into the next thing, and, um, and he says in verse 10, he says that she might walk worthy of the Lord. So when you know the will of God, the, the purpose of knowing God's will isn't just to know it, it's now to live it out. And so in verse 10 he says this, that she might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So first, we want to strive to know the will of God. And secondly, we want to walk worthy of our new king. Walk worthy of our new king. What does it mean to walk worthy of the Lord? What does that mean? It means to live and act in a way that it's appropriately representing him. Okay? Give you an example. If you were to hire a paint company to come paint your house, and they sent some guys um, that showed up in their van, and I mean, they were just some sketchy dudes, right? And they walk into your house, and they got paint all over, and dirt all over the floors, and dropped the paintbrush on your nice cabinet, and stained it. Like, you would never hire them again to do this paint job. Why? Because their workers didn't walk worthy of the company that said they were good painters, right? And that could be the best company in the world, and you just had a bad day with these new employees, but you're never going to hire them again. As Christians, we, when we walk worthy, we walk and we live and we act in a way that appropriately represents our king, and that's Jesus. And so when people see the way we act at work, there's something different about us. When people see the way we treat our spouse and our kids, there's something different about that. When people see that, that every Sunday morning, hey, their car's not in the driveway. Why? Because they're going to worship their king. Right? We are walking worthy. We are trying to show by our lives that God has transformed us and we want the world to meet our great Savior, Jesus. That's walking worthy. That's saying every day, and, and notice, walk worthy. It's really, Paul uses this, Paul was a Jew, and um, he was a Jew that had been discipled. And when the Jews were discipled, they would, they would actually, um, rabbis would choose people to follow them as their disciples, and they would literally walk with them. And walking worthy has this idea of a daily life, a daily walk going through this. And, and so every day we wake up and we say, I want to walk worthy of my king. I want people to look at me and to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus. That's walking worthy. And he, and he goes in detail with it and says, well, what does walking worthy exactly look like? Um, it says, first of all, it means being fruitful in every good work. In the Bible, fruit just has the idea of results. God is working in us, and the results are coming out, whether that's leading people to Christ or praising God, giving time and money, sacrificing for others, living a righteous life. That's the fruit that flows out of a worthy walk. And, and then he continues, and he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. When we walk worthy, um, that comes, we're going to have fruit, and we're also going to increase in the knowledge of God. And the more we study God, and the more we learn God, and the more we reflect on His majesty and His beauty and His holiness, the more we are going to desire to show that as we live our lives out and studying the knowledge of God. And you know, this is especially true when it comes to Jesus. And we've talked about this before, but as we behold Jesus, we're transformed into the same image. Incredible truth. And then in 1 John 2, 6... Um, it says this, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So as Christians, our, our goal, when it really comes to walking worthy, the perfect pattern was Jesus Christ. And when we try to walk, we try to walk as if Jesus were walking. We try to live as if Jesus were living. And guess what? He is living, and he's living through you today if you're a Christian. And, and that kind of brings us to our next point. But I want to pause there. When, it th when you think about walking worthy, I want to give you an illustration. 
Imagine um, you were playing for this, this team, and, and whatever sport, you just kind of plug in your favorite sport, okay? And you're playing for this team, and you have this jersey on, but it's a horrible team, and you're always losing. And then this awesome guy comes up, and he says, look, I'm going to take you. I'm going to put you on my team now. Get, get rid of that dirty jersey, right? Throw that in the trash. You're on my team now. You put on a new jersey. What do you want to do when you have that new jersey on? You want to play in such a way that reflects the fact that you're on this awesome team now. Um, really, as I'm talking, kind of reminds me of um, in high school, I was kind of on a horrible soccer team. Um, I'll be honest, uh, we were pretty bad, and um, I, I, I loved soccer, and so I put a lot of time and effort into it, and, and I worked hard, but man, it was tough um, to, to play on that horrible team. And when I went to college, I couldn't wait to play for an actually good team. And um, so there was different teams to choose from, and um, you had to try out for them, but I chose the very best team on campus in this collegiate soccer league. And uh, man, I looked at the trophies in the past and, and they, they would won it, man. They, they were like top of the, the list. And I was like, I'm gonna join this team. And I had to try out for it. And when I joined their team and I got that jersey, I was no longer a loser on this team over here. Now I was on the best team in campus. And I was like, man, I've gotta walk worthy of this new team. I've gotta play, like I've gotta be better. Just like automatically. And it was like putting on that jersey made you better, honestly, just being on that team because because I was surrounded by people, honestly, that I didn't even, we couldn't talk because they, they spoke different languages. Because they're from all over the world because soccer is not very popular in America, right? And um, I was like the star on this other team. And now I'm on the bench most of the time on this team. Because, man, it was a good team. But, man, when I wore that jersey, I wanted to walk worthy of that team. I wanted to play in such a way that showed this is the Hornets, man. We don't mess around, right? And so as Christians, when we, when we, when we look at our lives, we've got to ask ourselves, am I walking worthy of the Lord. Do people see in me a difference that God has done in my heart? That is walking worthy. So we see we got to strive to know the will of God, walk worthy of your new king. And then we get in verse 11, because you're probably thinking, if you're like me, I can't walk worthy. Are you kidding me? Like, I can't appropriately represent Jesus in the way I act. And thankfully, that brings us to verse 11, where Paul says this, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So, thirdly, rely on God to strengthen you. You know, this verse really shows us that Christianity is not self-help. Now, some of you probably like self-help, and that's fine. Um, I, I'll read self-help books once in a while, but, but Christianity is not self-help. It's not about being a, a better person um, by, by working really hard and, and reading books about it and, and new strategies and things like that. Um, Christianity is not behavior modification, it's spirit transformation. In order to really truly live the Christian life, we need God to work in us because we can't without him. It's absolutely impossible. I mean, honestly, how are we really going to be like Jesus apart from God helping us be like Jesus? And if you remember last year, we preached a series that kind of talked about this, but an illustration I used was a lot of Christians today are trying to look at methods and mechanics and things like that to be better and they're like, man, if I could just work harder, I'll be a better Christian. And what they're doing is they're taking a tomato tree that has no fruit and they're stealing tomatoes and they're stapling it to the tree and forcing it to look like it has fruit. But what God wants is God wants to work within us so that the fruit flows. So we don't have to go through this mechanical forcing and trying to, to be better in ourselves. It's allowing God to work through us. That's why the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. 
We need the Spirit of God to transform us and to work from within. And notice it says we're strengthened with His might. It's not our might, it's His might. And it's according to His glorious power. This is incredible to think about. You know, I'm convinced today that many Christians aren't doing more for God because they don't understand how much power is available to them. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it teaches that the same Spirit that God used to raise Jesus from the dead dwells within us if we're believers today. Now, that's a lot of power, okay? And that's the power God has given us, has made available to us to be able to live this Christian life. So when Paul is praying for these Colossians, he's saying, look, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with his might because you're not going to be able to do it in your own strength. And what does he say? Strengthened for what? He goes on and he talks about unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Now, how in the world do we have patience and suffer long with situations and people? How long do we do that with joy if it weren't for God working in us? And this, I got to take a, just a second and say, this is why I hate the prosperity gospel. And I say this a lot, but, but I have so many problems with it. First of all, it's just garbage. Okay, so we'll just start with that. It's just garbage. But to say, come to Jesus, and all your problems will go away, and you'll never get sick again, and you'll have lots of money, that's a scam. Okay? And the, the, the preachers that are out there saying, you can do this right now. You can have a good life. And if you just come to Jesus, he'll take away your problems. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is, look, Jesus, when you come to Jesus, you'll be saved from the wrath of God, and your hope will be laid up for you in heaven. And as you go through these trials, God is not going to take the trial away. He's going to give you the strength to go through that trial and say, Jesus is enough. And so when you hear someone say, come to Jesus and your problems will go away, or maybe they say, if you're sick a lot, it's probably because you're not right with God. That's garbage. Okay, throw it out. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened with his might so that you can face all these different trials with patience, long-suffering, and joy as you go through them because of Jesus. So we need to understand today, if we're going to live a Christian life that's worthy of our King, we need to be strengthened by his power. And then lastly, Paul kind of wraps this all up, and he says this in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. And so lastly, never lose the thrill of forgiveness. Never lose the thrill of forgiveness. You know, a huge part of living the better story that God has for you involves remembering where we came from. Remember what we talked about in the beginning. We were dead in our sins, separated from God, chasing after the lusts of the flesh. Didn't want anything to do with God. And God, in his rich mercy, reached down, plucked us out of that mess, saved us, washed us off, and gave us a new life and a new story to live. That's where we came from. And what Paul says here is he gives us a beautiful summary of what he did for us when he saved us. And and first of all, in verse 12, he says, He made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, what does that mean? When it says he made us meet, it literally means he qualified us. You know, in all of our sin, when Jesus looked down at us and he saw your sin, he said, that guy is not entering my heaven. He's unqualified, right? There's certain people that try to do things, and as you watch them do it, you're like, he's not qualified to do that, right? He's not fit. He's not suitable. It's, it's, he doesn't have the necessary requirements to be able to do this or to be able to be here. But when God looked at us, he saw we were very unqualified, dead in our sins, rebels, objects of his wrath. And you know what he did? He made us meet. He qualified us. 
He made us suitable. He gave us the necessary requirements to be qualified to do what? To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. So what does that say? He's saying, I'm going to qualify you so that you can have an inheritance um, that only belongs to those who are saints. Now, this is really cool if we really had time, but this includes salvation from sin. That's the inheritance that we receive. We're saved from our sin. This includes the rights and privileges of belonging to God's family. Man, we went from objects of God's wrath to seated at his table as sons and daughters. This includes eternal life, a secure hope in heaven like we talked about last week, and so much more. That's the inheritance, the glories of heaven prepared for us because God qualified us. Incredible. So Paul says, look, you can't lose the thrill of forgiveness. Don't forget where you came from. Right? God qualified you to be a partaker of this awesome inheritance. And, and then he goes on in verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. So not only did he qualify us, he delivered us from darkness. We were in this dark world, in this sinful world. We were bound by sin and we were deceived. The Bible says apart from Christ, you're blinded by the God of this world. Satan has blinded your eyes so that you can't see the gospel. You can't see Jesus. And you know what he did? God delivered us from that. Slaves to sin. Slaves to Satan. Slaves to the power of darkness. He took us out of that. He delivered us. Just like he took the children of Israel out of Egypt. He delivered them. That's what he did for us when he saved us. And then it says this. He hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He didn't just take us out of there and set us down. He took us out of there, the power of darkness, the sin, the Satan, all that stuff. He took us out and then he brought us into his kingdom and said, you are now citizens of my kingdom. God is your father. Jesus is your king. The Holy Spirit will empower you to live this new life and this new story. So as we wrap this all up, what he's saying is God has qualified you. God has delivered you and God has transferred you. And that's why, that's why I'm praying that you will know God's will and that you will walk worthy and that you will rely on God's power and that you will give thanks because of what God has done for you. And then in verse 14, to kind of wrap this all up, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I love what William McDonald said about this. He said, the Lord Jesus, as it were, put a price tag on us. How highly did he value us? He said, in effect, I value them so highly that I am willing to shed my blood to purchase them. Since we have been purchased at such a tremendous cost, it should be clear to us that we no longer belong to ourselves. We have been bought with a price. God saw us in the pit of sin. He said, I'm going to buy them for myself. I'm going to pay for them. And he paid with his own blood on the cross for us. It's incredible to think about. And so, Christian, if you're you're a Christian today, you have a new story. You have a better story. And the stories of this world that that say you need more stuff or or you need to better this or you need a whatever this or, or whatever, all that stuff is false. The true story is that in our sin, separated from God, God saved us out of that mess and now he has works prepared for us to live. It's an incredible story. And as we wake up every day, let us remember the story that we've been placed in. Remember that God has delivered us from that. He's transferred us into his kingdom. He's paid for us with the price of his own blood. That's the story that we have today. 
And in fact, it's so appropriate that today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper because as we celebrate, the Bible says we proclaim the Lord's death. When we, when we gather here and we celebrate this table later, what we're doing is we're telling our story. Right? We're saying, hey, Jesus, he paid for us. He, he broke his body for us. He shed his blood for us. We can be saved today because of Jesus. That's the story we're in. So as we wrap this all up, Paul's praying, look, know God's will. Strive to know God's will. Walk worthy of your new king. Uh, rely on God for power and give thanks. Never lose the thrill of forgiveness. And we can wrap this all up by saying this. Start living your better story. Start living your better story. Man, God puts you in this new narrative for you to live. So start living your better story.